0: welcome to the podcast of new covenant church in albuquerque where we focus on the bible faith and life issues we hope this podcast will be helpful to you on your faith journey now here's our message good morning new covenant this is the beginning of advent it is the season that we should have started decorating for the day after the kids got out of school during the summer that's just my personal opinion Um, love Christmas season so I'm excited to be celebrating with y'all I'm excited for this new series that we are doing called the faces of Christmas and I love the song we just sang. Mary did you know did you know that that baby that you delivered would be the one that would be delivering you next week we will be on Joseph Joseph did you know that that little boy that you in essence adopted is gonna be adopting you into his family We'll be tackling the wise men. Hey, wise men, did you know that that little baby that you came to worship 600 years prior to you showing up, he was the one paving the way so that you would end up right there worshiping him? We're going to tackle the person of Herod. Hey, Herod, did you know that God was going to use your evil heart and your brutality to actually bring about his plan for his glory and for our good? And then on Christmas Eve, we will be taking a look at the face of Jesus. Who is he? Um, who does the Bible say that he is? Who does scripture tell us that he is? So for this morning we are on Mary. We're going to take a look at how God used a girl who was about 14 years old to accomplish his will, to bring about his glory, to accomplish his purposes. We are in Luke chapter 1. If you've got your Bibles and you want to grab those and go there with me, we are going to go through kind of our normal protocol and that is let's read the whole passage In its context, it's Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 26. If you would join me in standing as we read uh, the Word of God, we're going to go verses 26 through 38 this morning, and then you can uh, sit back down and get more caffeinated. (laughs) Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 26, In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph, And the Lord will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign forever over the house of Jacob, forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I'm a virgin? The angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son, And this is the sixth month with her, who was called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Thanks, gang. You can have a seat. So let's just take a look briefly at what we know about Mary, because we're taking a look at a young lady who was just an ordinary young teenage girl getting ready to get married. And all of a sudden, God comes in and completely changes up her plans. Before we go too far, I want to point out that there really is nothing special about Mary in and of herself. It was solely by the grace of God that He chose her. In fact, you'll even discover later in Mary's song when she cries out or sings the song that we call Mary's Magnificat. It's really her stating that I'm a sinner just like everybody else and in desperate need of a Savior. Praise the Lord that he sent the Savior to me. Just ironic that the, Savior is the my Savior is the one I'm going to give birth to. My Creator is the one I get to give birth to. Imagine hearing that. You're going to give birth to the Creator of the world. What do you do with that? Well, before we go too far, let's just get up close and personal, if we could, with Mary. I want you to see the, the real persons that we're going to be taking a look at. Over the next few weeks, because I think we have a tendency to look at people in Scripture and kind of venerate them or put them on a pedestal to in, in places where they don't belong. We're going to discover that people like Mary, people like Joseph, people like the wise men, guys like the Apostle Paul or Peter or James, these folks that wrote Scripture, these were real people with real doubts. With real families they had real question marks in their heads of whether or not God could actually use somebody like them and we're gonna end up finding out that the answer is absolutely God uses very ordinary people for extraordinary tasks and that's what we're gonna see with Mary this morning so kind of exciting if you're sitting there thinking man I don't come from the right background or I'm not old enough or I'm too old or I've got the wrong personality or I've got the wrong family background or I don't have the right college degree if you have thought any of those things those those are all the same things that somebody like Mary would have thought that Joseph would have thought that guys like Peter or even Paul would have thought so just know that God has great got great plans for very ordinary people by the way in and of ourselves I don't care what you do I don't care if you are live in life as somebody that is part of the disposal service, or you are the president of the United States. In and of ourselves, we don't have anything to offer an omnipotent, eternal, all-holy God. And yet, he chose, chooses to use us anyways. So what do we know about Mary? Well, first of all, we know that she's young and she's a virgin. We know that because the Greek word that's used for virgin there is the word parthenos. The word parthenos literally means a young woman who is of marriageable age but has never had sexual relations with a man. What else do we know about Mary? She's poor. How do we know she's poor? Well, when they go to offer up a sacrifice in the temple, her and Joseph, they have to bring two pigeons or turtle doves. That is the appropriate sacrifice for a family that can't afford something like a lamb or a goat. So we know that Mary doesn't have any money. So she's a broke teenage girl getting ready to get married. The other thing we know about her is that she loves God how do we know that well again we always want to let scripture interpret scripture if I just read Luke and 1 and 2 I just read the rest of this passage I find out that she really loved the Lord we know that she's engaged we can read that in Luke 1 she's betrothed to Joseph and the fifth thing and the last thing that we really know about Mary is that she found favor with God we'll talk about why in just a moment but I want to point out that from that list that I just gave you in the eyes of the world especially in the eyes of the Roman world when this was written Mary didn't check any of the boxes of a successful person a successful woman and yet God says that's exactly who I want to use I am gonna use this young 14 15 year old girl to bring the Savior the Messiah into the world she is gonna bring me great glory Let me ask you this morning, if you've got teenagers in your house or you know teenagers, what can God do with them? We tend to look at them and go, this generation's a mess. They've walked away from the Lord, all they care about is video games, all they care about is looks, all they care about is blah, blah, blah. You fill in the blank. I have high hopes for this up and coming generation. I have high hopes for what the Lord is going to do through them. There is a remnant of our students that love Jesus, that are being sent on the public school campuses week in and week out, into the community week in and week out, that are going to make huge impacts for the Lord. I can guarantee you that there were a lot of people that would have looked at Mary and probably just wrote her off. What is some 14-year-old girl, some teenage engaged girl ever going to do? And God says, watch this, because it's not about Mary It's about who I am and what I can do in someone's life. Before I go any further, let me just show you how God works in order to bring about his will in order to bring about what he wants to happen come to fruition. About 700 years before Mary gives birth to Jesus, there is this prophecy in Isaiah chapter seven that says that the virgin will give birth, will conceive and bring forth a child. Now, can you imagine? Mary's a Jewish girl. She knew the Old Testament. All of a sudden, she finds out from Gabriel that she is going to be overshadowed by the Holy Spirit, and then she's going to give birth, and then she probably thinks back to Isaiah chapter 7. Wait a minute. I couldn't possibly be that girl in Isaiah chapter 7 that was written about 700 years ago. Could I? She's probably really beginning to wonder. Well, one of Isaiah's contemporaries, a man that wrote about the same time, was a guy by the name of Micah. In Micah chapter 5, we're told very clearly that Jesus is going to be born in the town of Bethlehem, Ephrathah. So just to make sure that we're clear, God wants the world to know that Jesus is going to be born of a virgin in the town of Bethlehem. Now prior to that, God is working through other prophets in which he tells them not only is this Virgin born baby going to be born in Bethlehem, but he's going to come through a certain family line, through the family line of a man named Abram who becomes Abraham, who is this pagan who's plucked out of the nation of the Ur of the Chaldees, and then he's going to have a little boy named Isaac. Jesus is going to be born through that family line. Then Jesus is going to be born through the family line of Jacob. Jacob's going to have 12 sons, but specifically he's going to come through the tribe of Judah. On top of all that, from Judah's kids, he's going to come from Jesse. On top of that, from all of Jesse's kids, he's going to come from the family line of David, all the way down to our current Joseph. If you don't think that God works in mighty ways in order to accomplish his plan in such a way that it could only be from God, just take a look at how Jesus came into the world. I would love to send it to you all so you all could see it, but there are 351, 351 specific messianic prophecies that were fulfilled perfectly at the first coming of Jesus. Now you all may have heard this fun little statistic before, but a guy named Dr. Peter Stoner and a bunch of his colleagues got together and said, what would it take, say, for just eight of these prophecies to come to fruition? He got together with a bunch of other secular scientists and mathematicians, just so numbers weren't skewed. And the number that they came up with was that in order for Jesus to fulfill just eight of the 351 Messianic prophecies perfectly, it comes out to one in 10 to the 17th power. Now I don't do math. One in 10 followed by 17 zeros means about nothing to me. So I need some kind of verbal picture to help me out. So they must have had time on their hands, but they discovered that in order to fill the state of Texas, how many of y'all have been to Texas? I even said y'all with Texas. That was awesome. So for those of you that have been to Texas, it is a huge state and takes forever to drive across. It almost feels like forever. Now, if you wanna know what 10 followed by 17 zeros looks like, you take the state of Texas, you cover it two feet deep, so about this deep in silver dollars, the entire state of Texas. That's 10 followed by 17 zeros. Remember, the chances of Jesus fulfilling eight prophecies by accident are one in 10 to the 17th power, which means you get to take one of those silver dollars, paint it yellow, put it anywhere you want on the state of Texas, blindfold someone, send them out across the state, and they got one shot to pick up the yellow silver dollar. That's the chances of Jesus fulfilling eight. What's the number for Jesus fulfilling 351? I have no idea, so we're not even going to go there. Let's just stick with the eight. We actually just looked at about eight from Jesus being born to a virgin in Bethlehem through Abraham, Isaac, uh, Jacob, The tribe of Judah, Jesse to David, all the way down to the line of Joseph. Even if he just fulfilled those eight or nine, the numbers are staggering and mind-boggling and make you look at the person of Jesus, this little baby sitting in a manger, and go, he is anything but just an ordinary baby. So that's the God we're worshiping this morning. I hope that that excites you in some way, shape, or form. I know that it excited Mary to the point where she said yes to God and had her entire world turned upside down. In fact, what I want to do is I want to shift the focus a little bit to Mary now. Let's go to about 5 B.C., about the time that Jesus is going to be born. And when the story opens up, we know that Mary is betrothed. She is getting ready to get married to joseph now the way betrothal works is that they get betrothed there's some type of token or wedding gift that's given saying these two are going to get married their world looked at it as though they were already married but they would have a one-year betrothal where there was no sexual relations no consummation of the marriage they weren't living together yet she would live at her parents house Joseph would live at his parents' house. Typically what the male would do is he would build some type of room or some type of mini house on top of his parents' house. Then there would be this huge processional where the bridegroom would go and get the bride and take her back to his house. Does any of that sound familiar? Jesus said, hey, I tell you what, I'm going to prepare a place for you. He's in his father's house preparing a place for us. He's the bridegroom. He's going to come back for the bride. He's going to take us home. Me and I can't wait to that day. But there is a picture of what Joseph is doing for Mary. He's building a house. He's getting it ready for her. They are getting all these hopes and dreams conjured up in their head of what life is going to look like in their new home with new kids running around. And she's going to get it decorated and she's just going to make everything great. But then all of a sudden, God shows up, and he changes all of her plans. Any of you all had your plans changed by the Lord before? Maybe to the point where you're going, yeah, thanks, Lord, but no thanks. Like, this is not the change that I was looking for. I can tell you, we have. We're in Albuquerque. (laughs) I don't know that we would have ever... Picked to be in Albuquerque necessarily because I don't even think we even really knew where Albuquerque was until the Lord said, Hey, I'm going to bring you to New Covenant Church in Albuquerque. And we're like, Let's go. This is great. So God breaks into Mary's life and she's got all these happy dreams of this wedding. And all of a sudden, when the angel shows up and he says to her what he says to her, remember what he says to her, you're going to give birth to a son. And he begins to list what the, these Uh, What the pedigree of the Sun is going to be and she goes excuse me I'm bringing the Creator into the world well gone are all her happy dreams of the wedding that she had planned remember 14 15 year old girl she has got all these plans for what life is going to look like she's planning out the wedding feast she's planning out the invitations she's planning out the guest list she's daydreaming about what it's going to look like with little tykes running all over the house and now her life is gonna be marred by rumors her life is gonna be marred by people looking at her with suspicion and wondering what it is that she did well she's gonna have a home and she is gonna be married and she is gonna have other kids after Jesus is born it's just not gonna happen the way she expected and again i don't know about you but have you ever had your plans changed your world turned upside down where God is working his will in your life, but it is not what you had anticipated. It's not what you had planned. Well, this is poor Mary. Let's go back and let's dissect our passage little by little. Let's start with verses 26 and 27. It says, In the sixth month. The sixth month of what? Well, if you go back and you read the verses before, it's in the sixth month of Elizabeth's. Uh, conception. She had conceived. She's six months in. She's entering into her second trimester. She's getting ready to give birth in a few months. And it says in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. This is a real life historical event. This isn't something that was conjured up in somebody's mind. And so you've got this young girl Mary, she sees an angel named Gabriel. In the Bible, there's only two angels that are ever mentioned by name. There's Michael and there's Gabriel. Every time Gabriel shows up, it's to make some type of heavenly announcement to let somebody know of something that God is about to do. And at this point, uh, Mary and Gabriel are about to have a conversation. And Gabriel's gonna do most of the talking. He's about to say three things to her. And she's going to respond to all three things that gabriel says to mary now let me ask you for a moment if you could can you rewind a couple thousand years i want you to go back to about four five six bc i want you to imagine mary she's at home helping her mom she's doing some chores around the house and all of a sudden it's 5 p.m in the evening Mom says, hey, Mary, I want you to go and I want you to fetch some water so that we can get some laundry done. And she goes out to the local well or gets ready to go out to the local well. And all of a sudden, there's this stranger standing by the olive tree in the backyard. She probably barely notices him. She's humming along, thinking about Joseph, doing her house chores, everything's going great. And finally, she realizes, wait a minute, there's something different about this guy. And all of a sudden, he begins to speak to her. And what does he say? Well, look at verses 28, 29, and 30. It says, He came to her and he said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. We're going to take a look at some lessons from the Lord in the life of a young girl who trusted him for the impossible. What did she get told that we can learn. Well, first of all, let's note this. Mary found favor with God. Why? Simply because of who God is. His grace and His choosing. He chose to use Mary. And guess what? We have found favor with God. I've had people ask me, why have I found favor with God? I'll I'll give you the answer. I don't know. Why have I found favor with God? Sometimes I look in the mirror and go, really, you chose to save me, why? why after 21 years of me mocking you Lord and making fun of you and spitting in your face with the way I live why'd you choose to save me and to this day the only answer that I know to give is because God is good and because he lavishes his grace on people that don't deserve it and this is why we have to be very careful of ever placing any of the emphasis on ourselves when it comes to salvation all the glory goes right back to the Lord again look at Mary why Mary Of all the people to bring the Savior into the world through, why Mary? Why not use a queen? Why not use somebody that's living in the palace that has high influence and powerful influence? Instead, he chooses to use a peasant girl who nobody probably would have ever chosen. Again, notice that there is nothing listed in Scripture that tells us why Mary found favor with God. It had to simply be because of his grace and because of his choosing. Let's take you back to the event, 5 o'clock in the evening. She's a teenager. She's about to be married. She's got these dreams of this wonderful man, Joseph. She's picturing these long walks on the beach down to Capernaum. Okay, they're probably not on the beach, but these long walks down to Capernaum. She goes out to the well just to get a bucket of water so she can do some laundry. And now this stranger shows up and says some of the most bizarre things to her. Gabriel makes this announcement, but that's not the half of it. So without pausing, Gabriel goes on and really begins to blow her mind. Check this out, verses 31 through 34. And it says, and behold, so Gabriel's still speaking, behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. The name Jesus is, where we, is actually derived from Joshua, Yehoshua, the Lord saves So right off the bat, the angel tells her, you're going to conceive and you're going to bear the Lord, the creator of the universe, who's going to come and save you. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I'm a virgin? Mary was an ordinary girl. She was used by God for an extraordinary task. And you and I, were really just ordinary people. We like to think of ourselves as more than that sometimes. Hollywood, if you take a look at what Hollywood promotes, it's all about self. Put yourself on a pedestal, you can become the next princess, you can become the next prince, you can become the next king or queen. And God says, well, they got it half right, You are going to be kings and queens, but you're going to be reigning and ruling underneath the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And we only get to our exalted position because of the fact that the Lord has put us there. Remember, in the book of Ephesians, we just finished studying through that, that the Apostle Paul states that we are seated in the heavenly realms, seated with the king of kings, not because of anything that we've done, but because of who he is, and he chose to make us a part of his family. He's made us royalty. Well, it's interesting some of the titles that Jesus has given. One of them is Son of the Most High. Now, I want to note that a lot of cults have taken passages like this and said, see, Jesus isn't really God. He's inferior to the Father. He's just a God, a little God, or maybe even just a great prophet. However, in the Greek New Testament, the word that is used for son of is the word "huios." The word "huios" does not mean born of. It always means in the likeness of. Remember in Scripture, there are some people that are called sons of perdition. I don't think perdition was their dad. It means that they are in the likeness of sin. Jesus said, your father is the devil. You are sons of the devil. The devil is not procreating and making babies. That's not what Jesus was talking about. He said, you are in the likeness of or just like or you bear the same nature as your father, the devil. So when jesus is called Huias, the son of god it's stating to us that he is in the likeness of or has the exact same nature as his heavenly father so what is mary told you just gave birth to the one that created you or you're going to give birth to the one who has created you and he will be called son of the most high now mary doesn't question any of this do you notice that she doesn't quite the only thing she asks the only thing is the physical question I'm not doubting God I'm not doubting what he can do I'm not doubting that this Jesus is God in flesh notice she doesn't ask any questions about why you calling him God because I think from her studies of the Old Testament she recognized that God himself was going to be coming remember what he is is called in Isaiah chapter 9 most of us know Isaiah 9 6 he will be called what wonderful counselor mighty God Prince of Peace everlasting father. That's who Jesus is. So she doesn't question any of that. What does she question? How will this be since I'm a virgin? Her only question is, how am I going to have a baby? I think she learned enough in sex ed in school to know what it takes to make a baby. Just to make you all blush, I mean, hopefully you know what it takes to make a baby. It's going to take one man, it's going to take one woman, it's going to take this idea of that's how things are conceived. Okay, I won't go any further. I'll, I'll cut it off there and I'll let you... No, don't study it on the, I was going to say the internet. Don't study it on the internet, please. Never mind. Just go back and ask your parents. So this is a perfectly natural question. Lord, how is this going to happen since I'm a virgin? And then we get the only answer in all of scripture to the virginal birth, how this is going to happen. Look at verses 35 through 37. The angel answered her, "The Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you." Therefore, the child to be born will be called holy, the Son of God. Don't miss this. The only way that Jesus could be completely holy is if he was born of a virgin. This is not anything to spiritualize or allegorize away. She was literally a virgin. Jesus was literally born of a virgin. And the only way that he could be perfectly holy or set apart from sin was through the virginal birth. How was that going to happen? Well, he just told her the Holy Spirit's going to overshadow you. We'll get into that in a moment. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who is called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. So verse 35 tells us the Holy Spirit is going to overshadow you. That word overshadow, that Greek word, fun word to say, but epischiazzo. It's the Hebrew form of the word hover. Think back to Genesis chapter 1, verse 2, when God is creating the universe. And it says that the Spirit of God hovered above the waters. He's using that same basic term. So Mary is reading this and going, wow, just like the Holy Spirit overshadowed the seas and all that God was making, the Holy Spirit's going to overshadow me. He's going to oversee my life and the events of my life. And the angel Gabriel ends up telling her, yes, that's exactly what's going to happen. Don't miss this. The moment you trusted Christ, the Holy Spirit took up residence in your life and he has been hovering over the events of your life ever since. That will never change. He's overseeing every step of everything that happens in your life. Even when you get that horrible diagnosis from the doctor, is the Holy Spirit still overshadowing or overseeing everything that's happening? Absolutely. When you lose that loved one, when you end up moving across the country, when your child is rebelling and running away from the Lord, when, and you can fill in the blank, is the Holy Spirit still overseeing all of that? The answer is absolutely. Do you think that Mary was excited about this news that she got? I I think there were probably some very mixed emotions. Wow, I have been chosen to be used by the Lord to bring the creator of the universe into his own creation, and my life is wrecked. People are gonna look at me with suspicion nobody's gonna believe me who's gonna believe that a virgin would give birth even though the Jews should have been the first ones to recognize right away that the Messiah was coming into the world by knowing Isaiah chapter 7 well we learn another lesson from Mary here and that is that Mary was used by God to accomplish the impossible Mary was used by God to accomplish the impossible and so are you and I Now again, I don't want you to miss this, but when Jesus was on the scene, he's talking to his disciples and his disciples saw him do impossible things. We sang about it in Mary Did You Know. The disciples saw him give sight to a blind man. The disciples saw Jesus give hearing to the dumb or to the deaf. Jesus also raised people from the dead. And then on top of all of that, he raised himself from the dead. But prior to his death and resurrection he said you've seen me do all these things you've seen me give sight to the blind hearing to the deaf speaking to the mute and even life to the dead but you're going to do even greater things than these imagine me the disciples excuse me what could be greater than raising the dead and jesus says i'm going to give you the opportunity to go share the gospel and people aren't just going to go from physical death to physical life they're going to go from spiritual death to spiritual life And Jesus said, that's even better than raising the dead. You know why? Well, Jesus raised this young man from a coffin. And mom got all excited. But do you know what happened to that young man a few decades later? He died again. Poor Lazarus. The dude that's in heaven for like four days. Can you imagine? Lazarus is enjoying heaven. And all of a sudden, an angel shows up to him and goes, hey, Lazarus. I got some news for you. We need you to go back down to Israel. Can you imagine? No thanks, I'm good. I think I'll stay here. Well, good old Lazarus gets to come in. We get all excited about Lazarus coming back to life. I don't want to be Lazarus. I got to die twice. I'm a wuss. I don't want to die once, let alone having to go through it twice. So now Lazarus has to die twice. Well, Jesus does all of that. And yet we're told that Jesus is going to use some people to do something even greater. Guess what? 2000 years later, he's using people to do the impossible. And that is you and I get to share the gospel. Did you know that if you're sitting in this room this morning and you know Jesus, you've trusted him as your Lord and Savior, you are part of the impossible. It should be impossible for people that have sinned, even one little sin, to be able to be in heaven with an all-holy, all-perfect God. And yet he accomplished the impossible on our behalf. He came as the person of Jesus, and he was willing to die for us. Well, let's wrap this up. Look at verse 38. Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. This is the last thing that we learn from Mary. And this is hugely important for us. But Mary was gripped by the greatness of God. And ever since she was, she never looked back. We too need to be gripped by the greatness of God and never look back. Let me ask you, how big is your God? I mean, just think about that for a moment. How big is your God? Somebody much smarter than I once said, your theology will always dictate your behavior. Big words. What's theology? It's the study of God. Your grasp... Your knowledge of God, the more you learn about him, the more it should radically affect the way you live. Your theology will always dictate your behavior. What kind of risks are you willing to take for the Lord? Well, here's what I've discovered. The more that I learn about the awesomeness and the greatness of God, the more I begin to realize that the risks are not all that big. I have many, many friends. I graduated from a college out in San Diego. If you all know the name Dr. David Jeremiah, I got to go to his school um, for my undergrad work and my master's work. And that was a school that was huge, 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 uh, working with a group called Missions Aviation Fellowship. And if you're familiar at all with Missions Aviation Fellowship, these guys fly into some crazy places in order to bring the gospel. We got to watch videos of them taking off on runways that were way too short. They should have never been able to get off before they're falling off a cliff in the middle of the jungle. I watched some of the places that these guys landed. They're not landing strips. They're like makeshift open areas in a field. And half the time they're very rough landings. And I remember at one point one of our professors asking, how do you do that day in and day out with the risk that you have to take? And I loved the response of one of the guys when he said, What risk? God's the one who's in control. And I'm thinking, well, it's true. And again, another one of those statements where I've heard people say, I would rather die doing the will of God than live doing my will. And I love that. That's exactly where Mary ended up going. You know what? I'm going to have all of my hopes and dreams shattered so that the will of God is accomplished in my life. Because God's dreams, God's will, God's desire are much more important than mine. So we see a miracle. This is the first of many miracles that we're going to see take place in the Christmas story and in the faces of Christmas. What other miracles do we see take place? Well, first of all, angels come and speak to shepherds. That was a miracle. An old woman, Elizabeth, she was about 70 years old is going to give birth to a son. A virgin gets pregnant. A wicked king by the name of Herod. Oh, I can't wait till you see how God used Herod in order to accomplish his will. That's going to be a blast. Herod goes about and tries to kill every baby in Jerusalem, but yet the one baby that he was trying to kill, he couldn't get his hands on. Talk about God working miracles. Then the baby's parents get warned in a dream to go a different direction and they have their plans completely thwarted and they end up in Egypt in just the nick of time and then there are many more miracles that abound Christmas and miracles seem to go hand in hand because that's exactly what Christmas is it really truly is a miracle and that's good news for many of us sitting in this room because some of you may be feeling like I need a miracle I need a miracle in my marriage I need a miracle in my finances I need a miracle and again you can fill in the blank but the cool thing about the God that we serve is that he's in the business of miracles. Does that mean that you're gonna get what you want today? Does that mean that life is gonna pan out exactly the way you want it to? Does it mean that things are ever gonna get better before we hit the grave or get raptured out of here? They might not. But one thing I can guarantee you, if you've trusted Christ, the miracle of you and I getting to be in heaven is golden. It's guaranteed. I can't wait. I'm excited to be there. The old gospel song says this, Got any rivers that you think are uncrossable? Got any mountains you can't tunnel through? God specializes in things thought impossible. He does the things others cannot do. Amen? Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we just come before you and we worship you for who you are. Lord, we think of how uh, your servant Mary uh, said yes to being used by you, even though it costs her everything. And so, Lord, we come before you and we ask that whatever it may cost us to follow you, would you remind us that the reward of being with you in heaven far outweighs any cost that we might have here on this earth. Lord, remind us that you used a young, peasant, teenage, engaged girl to change the world and to change destinies. And so, Lord, regardless of whether we think that we may be too young or we may be too old, or we may be too poor, or we may be too uneducated, or we may be overly educated. Whatever it is that we think about ourselves, Lord, would you remind us that you are in the business of using ordinary people for extraordinary things. And so, Lord, we look forward to you using New Covenant Church in extraordinary ways. Lord, we ask you now to bring people to yourself through your church body. We especially stop and just pray during Advent season that while people seem to be searching and seeking a whole lot more and asking a lot more questions about who you are, would you cause us to be bold in answering some of those questions? Would you cause us to be bold in inviting people to you and to your throne room? Would you cause us to be bold in inviting people here to New Covenant Church? And then, Lord, whether we're talking to them at the grocery store or at the gym or just over the fence in our neighborhood or here at church, Lord, would you put the right words in our mouth so that you, Jesus, are glorified and it becomes all about you and not about us. Lord, we love you and we praise you. It's in the name of Jesus that we all pray together. Amen. This concludes today's message. We thank you so much for listening. We'd love for you to connect with us. You can do that at our website, nccabq.org. From there, you can submit any questions, feedback, and your prayer requests. nccabq.org is also where you can learn more about New Covenant Church. Subscribe to our podcast and newsletters, browse our online message archive, and even tune in and watch the stream of each weekly message. We hope you'll join us. Have a great week.